Chapter Two of Pushing to the Front by Horizon Sweat Marden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Luke Sartor. Chapter Two Wanted A Man. Wanted Men. Not systems fit and wise, not faiths with rigid eyes, not wealth in mountain piles not power with gracious smiles, not even the potent pen, wanted men. All the world cries, Where is the man who will save us? We want a man. Don't look so far for this man. You have him at hand. This man, it is you, it is I, it is each one of us. How to constitute one's self a man? Nothing harder if one knows not how to will it, nothing easier, if one wills it. Alexandre Dumas Diogenes sought with a lantern at noontide in ancient Athens for a perfectly honest man, and sought in vain. In the marketplace he once cried aloud, Hear me, O men! And, when a crowd collected around him, he said scornfully, I called for men! not pygmies. Over the door of every profession, every occupation, every calling, the world has a standing advertisement, wanted a man. Wanted a man who will not lose his individuality in a crowd, a man who has the courage of his convictions, who is not afraid to say no, though all the world say yes. Wanted a man who though he is dominated by a mighty purpose, will not permit one great faculty to dwarf, cripple, warp, or mutilate his manhood, who will not allow the overdevelopment of one faculty to stunt or paralyze his other faculties. Wanted, a man who is larger than his calling, who considers it a low estimate of his occupation to value it merely as a means of getting a living. Wanted, a man who sees self-development, education and culture, discipline and drill, character and manhood in his occupation. A thousand pulpits vacant in a single religious denomination, a thousand preachers standing idle in the marketplace, while a thousand church committees scour the land for men to fill those same vacant pulpits and scour in vain is a sufficient indication, in one direction at least, of the largeness of the opportunities of the age, and also of the crying need of good men. Wanted, a man of courage, who is not a coward in any part of his nature. Wanted, a man who is well balanced, who is not cursed with some little defect of weakness, which cripples his usefulness and neutralizes his powers. Wanted, a man who is symmetrical and not one-sided in his development, who has not sent all the energies of his being into one narrow specialty and allowed all the other branches of his life to wither and die. Wanted a man who is broad, who does not take half views of things, a man who mixes common sense with his theories, who does not let a college education spoil him for practical, everyday life, a man who prefers substance to show, 
and one who regards his good name as a priceless treasure. Wanted a man who no stunted ascetic is full of life and fire, but whose passions are trained to heed a strong will, the servant of a tender conscience, who has learned to love all beauty, whether of nature or of art, to hate all vileness, and to respect others as himself. The world wants a man who is educated all over, whose nerves are brought to their acutest sensibility, whose brain is cultured, keen, incisive, broad, whose hands are deft, whose eyes are alert, sensitive, microscopic, whose heart is tender, magnanimous, true. The whole world is looking for such a man. Although there are millions out of employment, yet it is almost impossible to find just the right man in almost any department of life, and yet everywhere we see the advertisement, wanted a man. Rousseau, in his celebrated essay on education, says, according to the order of nature, men being equal, their common vocation is the profession of humanity. And whoever is well educated to discharge the duty of a man cannot be badly prepared to fill any of those offices that have a relation to him. It matters little to me whether my pupil be designed for the army, the pulpit, or the bar. Nature has destined us to the offices of human life antecedent to our destination concerning society. To live is the profession I would teach him. When I have done with him, it is true he will be neither a soldier, a lawyer, nor a divine. Let him first be a man. Fortune may remove him from one rank to another as she pleases. He will be always found in his place. A little short doctor of divinity in a large Baptist convention stood on a step and said he thanked God he was a Baptist. The audience could not hear and called, Louder! Get up higher, someone said. I can't, he replied. To be a Baptist is as high as one can get. But there is something higher than being a Baptist, and that is being a man. As Emerson says, Talleyrand's question is ever the main one, not, is he rich, is he committed, is he well-meaning, has he this or that faculty, is he of the movement, is he of the establishment, but is he anybody, does he stand for something, he must be good of his kind. That is all that Talleyrand, all that the common sense of mankind asks. When Garfield, as a boy, was asked what he meant to be, he answered, First of all, I must make myself a man. If I do not succeed in that, I can succeed in nothing. Montaigne says our work is not to train a soul by itself alone, nor a body by itself alone, but to train a man. One great need for the world today is for men and women who are good animals to endure the strain of our concentrated civilization, the coming man and the woman must have good bodies and an excess of animal spirits. What more glorious than a magnificent manhood, animated 
with the bounding spirits of overflowing health. It is a sad sight to see thousands of students graduated every year from our grand institutions, whose object is to make stalwart, independent, self-supporting men turned out into the world saplings instead of stalwart oaks, memory glands instead of brainy men, helpless instead of self-supporting, sickly instead of robust, weak instead of strong, leaning instead of erect. So many promising youths, and never a finished man. The character sympathizes with, and unconsciously takes on, the nature of the body. A peevish, snarling, ailing man cannot develop the vigor and strength of character which is possible to a healthy, robust, cheerful man. There is an inherent love in the human mind for wholeness, a demand that man shall come up to the highest standard, and there is an inherent protest or contempt for preventable deficiency. Nature, too, demands that man be ever at the top of his condition. As we stand upon the seashore while the tide is coming in, one wave reaches up the beach far higher than any previous one, then recedes, and for some time none that follows comes up to its mark. But after a while the whole sea is there and beyond it. So now and then there comes a man, head and shoulders above his fellow men, showing that nature has not lost her ideal. And after a while, even the average man will overtop the highest wave of manhood yet given to the world. Apelles hunted over Greece for many years, studying the fairest points of beautiful women, getting here an eye, there a forehead, and there a nose, here a grace, and there a turn of beauty, for his famous portrait of a perfect woman which enchanted the world. So the coming man will be a composite, many in one. He will absorb into himself not the weakness, not the follies, but the strength and the virtues of other types of men. He will be a man raised to the highest power. He will be a self-centered, equipoised, and ever master of himself. His sensibility will not be deadened or blunted by violation of nature's laws. His whole character will be impressionable and will respond to the most delicate touches of nature. The first requisite of all education and discipline should be man-timber. Tough timber must come from well-grown, sturdy trees. Such wood can be turned into a mast, can be fashioned into a piano or an exquisite carving. But it must become timber first. Time and patience develop the sapling into the tree. So through discipline, education, experience... The sapling child is developed into hardy, mental, moral, physical man-timber. If the youth should start out with a fixed determination that every statement he makes shall be the exact truth, that every promise he makes shall be redeemed to the letter, that every appointment shall be kept with the strictest faithfulness and with full regard for other men's time, if he should hold his reputation as a priceless treasure, feel that the eyes of the world are upon him, that he must not deviate a hair's breadth from the truth and right. If he should take such a stand at the outset, he would, like George Peabody, 
come to have almost unlimited credit and the confidence of everybody who knows him. What are palaces and equipages? What though a man could cover a continent with his title deeds, or an ocean with his commerce, compared with conscious rectitude, with a face that never turns pale at the accuser's voice, with a bosom that never throbs with fear of exposure, with a heart that might be turned inside out and disclose no stain of dishonour, to have done no man a wrong, to have put your signature to no paper to which the purest angel in heaven might not have been an attesting witness, to walk and live unseduced within arm's length of what is not your own, with nothing between your desire and its gratification by the invisible law of rectitude. This is to be a man. Man is the only great thing in the universe. All the ages have been trying to produce a perfect model. Only one complete man has yet evolved. The best of us are but prophecies of what is to come. What constitutes a state? Not high-raised battlement or laboured mound, thick wall or moated gate. Not cities proud with spires and turrets crowned. Not bays and broad-armed ports, where, laughing at the storm, rich navies ride. Not starred and spangled courts, where low-browed baseness wafts perfume to pride. No, men, high-minded men with powers as far above dull brutes endued, in forest, brake, or den, as beasts excel cold rocks and brambles rude, men who their duties know, but know their rights, and knowing dare maintain, prevent the long-aimed blow, and crush the tyrant while they rend the chain. William Jones God give us men. A time like this demands... Strong minds, great hearts, true faith and ready hands. Men whom the lust of office does not kill. Men whom the spoils of office cannot buy. Men who possess opinions and a will. Men who have honour, men who will not lie. Men who can stand before a demagogue and scorn his treacherous flatteries without winking. Tall men, sun-crowned, who live above the fog, in public duty and in private thinking. Anonymous. End of chapter two. Wanted a man. Recording by Luke Sartor, Brisbane, Queensland.